verses 1 to 13. The Apostle Paul writes, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit to immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Let's pray. Behold the kindness and the severity of God. Holy, holy, holy God, reveal to us tonight both your kindness and your severity. Show us Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you will have seen the new Road Safety Scotland advert that's on the television at the moment. It features David Coulthard, Formula One driver. And in the advert, Coulthard uh, gets behind the steering wheel and he follows a car along a road. And he examines it and notices the boundaries that it exceeds, the limits that it tests, and the laws that it breaks, until it gets to the point in the road where it loses control spins, flips, and the man driving the car dies. The lesson is, there are important things that can be learned from bad examples. In fact, there are important lessons to be learned from fatalities. Coulthard in that advert fixes our eyes on this fatality and longs that we would have the eyes to see and that we would amend the attitudes and the behaviors accordingly. He longs for us to see the lessons that must be learned from this fatality. In 1 Corinthians 10, 
the Apostle Paul, in essence, gets behind the driving seat of his car and tracks the nation of Israel through their desert wanderings. And he too notices where boundaries are exceeded and limits are tested and ultimately laws are broken. And he too fixes our eyes on fatalities and says there are important lessons to be learned from these deaths. If you look in verse 5, here's the image that the Apostle Paul wants you to leave with tonight. End of verse 5, bodies scattered over the desert. If this was a Sunday school class, the craft that you would be getting your young children to do would be this picture. Bodies scattered over the desert. There are important lessons to be learned from fatalities. And so twice in these verses he says, verse 6, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Down to verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the age has come. He fixes our eyes on thousands upon thousands of bodies scattered in a wilderness. He says, that is an example for you. That you would amend your attitudes and your behaviors that you might avoid their ends. Now in 1 Corinthians, this is important in Paul's development of an argument. He's writing to a people who are asserting their right to eat food that has been sacrificed to an idol. They want to go and eat food in the temple of an idol god. And their argument has been threefold. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. They say, well, in relation to God, idols are nothing. And in relation to my salvation, food is nothing. And if in relation to Jesus I'm free, tuck in. Eat what you want. And so Paul has crafted his argument and said, chapter 8, well, the danger of it is it could destroy a weaker brother or sister in Christ. So, chapter 9, follow my example, relinquish your rights, forsake your freedom, that you might not destroy this weaker brother or sister. But in chapter 10, he actually raises the bar. He says it might not only destroy your weaker brother, it could destroy you. These are warnings for you. He says in the end of chapter 9, listen, let's take a random example from a game. You know, every runner runs according to the price so they're not disqualified. He heightens it. He takes it away from just a metaphor to the history of their own people. This is no game. It may not only destroy a weaker brother or sister, it could destroy you. Verse 6, these are examples for us. Verse 11, these are examples for us. And so he tells four stories of their forefathers between verses 6 and 11. Let's run through them. Four stories from their forefathers. Verse 7. Do not be idolaters 
as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to engage in pagan revelry. He says, here's the first example. Do not be idolaters. Here are God's people who, according to verses 1 to 5, have experienced the power and the presence and the provision of God. That's what 1 to 5 is all about. He couches the Old Testament blessings in New Testament phrases. You've experienced the power of God in the Exodus, the presence of God in the clouds, the provision of God in food and drink. Power, presence, provision, and yet, when Moses ascends the mountain, to meet with the God who was their deliverer and their savior, what are they doing at the bottom? They're crafting a cow out of gold. And they bow down and say, this is our God who rescued us from Egypt. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. They were setting their heart on an idol rather than the one true God. Now we're not told the punishment that was received in 1 Corinthians. But the comparison is ominous. If you read Exodus 32, 3,000 of people are killed by the sword and thousands more are killed by a God-sent plague. Do not be idolaters, Paul says to the Corinthians. The question he wants to press upon them is this. Do you think that God has become more tolerant of idolatry or more lax in punishing idolaters? Second example, verse 8. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Again, God's people who had experienced all the power and the provision and the presence of God. And yet they meet the Moabite nation. They meet the women of the Moabite nation. And they indulge in sexual immorality. And as they do, they eat and they bow down to their idols. The consequence is no longer left unclear. In one day, 20 3,000 died. Bodies scattered in the wilderness. And the question that Paul presses upon the Corinthians and upon us is, do we think that God has become more tolerant of sexual immorality or more lax in punishing the sexually immoral? Verse 9. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Again, here are God's people who are experiencing the power and the presence and the provision of God. And yet in Numbers chapter 21, they complain and say, God, you have brought us out here into this wilderness to die. We have no food, we have no water, and we detest this miserable food. The attitude is one that says, we can do a better, go- better job than God of governing our own lives. Dissatisfied with his rule and asserting their own agenda. 
Here the rumble of their stomachs is louder than the word of God and their appetite trumps their faithfulness. And so they test God. The result, many were killed by snakes, bodies scattered in the wilderness. And again, Paul asks, has God become more tolerant of being tested or more lax in punishing those who will test him? Finally, in verse 10, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Here they are, the power, the presence, the provision of God. And yet the whole of their wilderness experience is characterized by grumbling against God. They have an attitude that is rebelling against God in, his, in the ordering of their circumstances. And so they grumble. Numbers 14 is probably what the Apostle Paul is referring to, where they grumble specifically against their God-given leaders, Moses and Aaron. God says, to grumble against the leaders that I've given you is to grumble against me. The consequence, they were killed by the destroying angel. The very angel that delivered them from Egypt is now the angel who destroys them in the wilderness. Paul asks us a question. Has God become more tolerant of grumbling or more lax in punishing grumblers? These things are examples for us. These things happened as examples for us. He says, God places his judgment before our eyes and like a warning signal to our ears. He says, do not be idolaters. Do not be sexually immoral. Do not test me. Do not grumble. See the bodies scattered in the wilderness. Now, what is the answer to that question? Has God become more tolerant? Has he become more lax? The answer is no. But the, answer, the, the clue to the answer comes in the end of verse 11. These things were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the age has come. These things in Israel's history happened at the time of promise. We live in the time of fulfillment. Jesus has come, he has died, and he has risen. The promises fulfilled in him, and we look back in the days of fulfillment. We live in the last days. God has set the end in motion. But we live in the last days, knowing that there will be a last day. And so although we may not see immediate punishments, that does not mean that it is not coming. We live in the fulfillment of the days, but there will be a day when everything will be fulfilled. Blessing and punishment. The kindness and the severity of God. He says these things happened as a warning for us. There are three things that we need to learn in this passage. Here's the first one on the screen. 
Paul says, be warned. Be warned. We too are people like in 1 Corinthians 10 who have experienced God's power, his presence, and his provision. And yet he says, that is not... That does not protect you from the danger of idolatry. He says, be warned. See the bodies scattered in the wilderness and heed his warning. And look at these four things. Idolatry. Idolatry is not just something that you bow down before physically. But as verse 6 says, it it is something that you set your heart on. What are you setting your heart on? What are you craving? What are you desiring above all things? What is life pursuing? Where does your mind go when it goes to rest? What are you setting your heart on? Paul says, if it is anything other than the Creator God, be warned. What about sexual immorality? How is your purity in your thought life, in your fantasies, in your computer screen, on your iPhone, on your television set? Where are you at in terms of sexual immorality? Has God become more lax, more tolerant? No, Paul says, be warned. What about testing God? Um, How do you consider your circumstances? Maybe particularly if you are suffering, how are you relating to God in them? Do you have that attitude that is saying, you know, God, I think I could do a better job than you. An attitude that wants to lead God rather than be led by him. Maybe it is that God is not changing your circumstance because he is wanting to change your heart. He has set your circumstance that he might change where you are setting your heart. What about grumbling? It was the characteristic of the wilderness nation. It's probably the characteristic of the Scottish nation. And I think for that reason, for Scots it can become an acceptable sin in our churches. Maybe an acceptable sin in Charlotte Chapel. It's okay to grumble. It's okay to grumble against the leaders. Paul says, be warned. To grumble is to grumble against a sovereign God. Has God become more tolerant? Has he become more lax? He says, be Warned. We live in the last days, knowing that there will be a last day. And so, if we settle into a pattern of sin, we are setting our hearts on a fearful course. Living the same way a second day is no evidence that God has turned a blind eye. Be warned. He says, secondly, Be careful. Let's read verse 12 and 13a. So, 
If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Supposed strength is suicidal. Overestimating yourself is deadly. Underestimating the power of temptation is deadly. He, that, that phrase, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. How have you read that in the past? I think I've read it as an encouragement. I think I've read it that said, phew, everyone goes through this. And it almost takes the weight off temptation. It relaxes me into temptation. It says, okay, we're in this together. I think in the context, it is actually heightening the warning. What is common to man in 1 Corinthians 10? Well, it was what was common to their forefathers. What tempted them, what destroyed them, is common to all. And so I dare not relax that everyone goes through it. Because if it destroyed them, it can destroy me. The commonality is actually the danger of temptation. The danger of the Corinthians was that they had this attitude that says, well, I know, therefore I am strong. I think I know that attitude in myself. So often I can say, I'll cope in this situation. In this temptation, I'll be all right. I overestimate self. I underestimate temptation. Paul says, listen, be careful. Temptation is real and temptation is deadly. What was the temptation for the Corinthian church? I've, I've struggled over the last weeks. So if we studied this, you know, what is it that made them want to go to the idol temple to eat meat? You know, what is the desire there? I, I think it, it is not that they are going to these temples to bow down before the idol. I don't think that's why they're going. They're not going and prostrating themselves in worship. I think they're going because that is what everyone in the culture did. Before they became a Christian, they would have eaten there. It's like the the local restaurant that they would have gone to. All of their non-Christian friends and social engagements would have been at that temple. It was the culture. That's where you ate. And if you didn't go there, it would have invited hostility. I think that's where the danger for the Corinthians came in. If they didn't go, then their social advancement would have been hindered. Client relationships would have struggled. It would have fueled the separation from friends and family. And it could have damaged economic potential. If that's where you met people, if that's where you met your clients, if that's where your family were, then of course you'd want to go. They're saying... Paul, I'm not prostrating myself in worship. I'm just associating with the culture. I think that's a temptation for us, isn't it? Paul says, be very careful. No part of idolatry can be touched without getting polluted. I think sometimes we can think, well, I want to be in the culture. That's our idol. The idol is not that we want to bow before the idols of our culture. The idol is that we want to be accepted and part of the culture. Paul says, be careful. 
temptation is strong. Idolatry is deadly. What does that look like? I don't know, for the young person, the supposed strength that says, I can cope going out with a non-Christian. I'm strong enough. I'll be fine. Paul says, listen, be careful. Uh, The student that says, I can go to the club. I'll be careful. I'm strong. I'm not participating. I'm not bowing down to the sex and the drunkenness. I'm just going. Paul says, listen, be careful. Maybe to the businessman. He's saying, you know, I can pursue the success of the culture without bowing down to the idol of money. Paul says, be careful. Maybe to the person who says, I want to pursue the same standard of living that is expected of my class, but I won't bow down to the idol of materialism. Paul says, listen, be careful. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And the temptation that seized the Israelites seized their lives. He says, be careful. Finally, an encouragement in verse 13. Not only be warned and be careful, but God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God is faithful. That goes both ways. He is just as faithful to destroy the wicked as he is faithful to save the righteous. I stand here and think, who am I to talk about temptation? Where is my hope? The faithfulness of God. You know, I, I am an idolater. And yet, in Christ, he has provided a way out. You know, for those of us who say, I was once this idolater, this sexually immoral tester of God who grumbled. What is the truth of the gospel? God provided a way out. I think that's Exodus language. He's been in the Israelite history and he continues it and says, here's a significant event in the Israelite history that defines them more than their temptation and their rebellion is the faithfulness of God to bring them out. He's done that in Christ. He died the death I should have died. Where I had fallen, he stood. And yet where I deserved to be a a body scattered in the desert, he raises me up in Christ. He has already provided a way out. And he promises that he will do the same again. Maybe for some here tonight, you know, the temptation is real and it has been prolonged. We have settled into that habit of sin. Do you know, it is a significant thing tonight that God offers a new exodus, a way out from slavery to these things to freedom in Christ, to falling from these things, to standing firm in Christ. God is faithful. He always provides the way out. Can I encourage you this week that as you face the common temptations that are deadly, to keep in mind this one thing, God is faithful. He will not let you 
Go through anything that you cannot bear and he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. We deserve to be bodies scattered, but in Christ, he makes us stand. If you're not a Christian here tonight, it is important that you behold not only the kindness, but also the severity of God. You can see these bodies scattered in the desert and you think, I want nothing to do with this God. That attitude often comes from an overestimation of our own importance, an underestimation of the goodness and the greatness of God, and a misunderstanding of our rebellion against Him. And tonight He urges you to have a right view of yourself, to let God be God, and to see that He is a God of complete justice. And justice for us means that actually we have earned a wage of death. And yet in Christ, he says, though this is what you deserve, through his cross and his resurrection, I can make you stand. Life where you deserve death. Now let's pray. Behold the kindness and the severity of God, our loving Father. We ask that you would use the warnings of your words to keep us in the path of faithfulness. Thank you for Jesus, who has provided us the way out into life. Help us this week to stand that we might persevere until the very end. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.